<laughs> it's so good to see you guys this morning. We're going through uh, the book of 1 John. In my life, I look back at all the large decisions I made that, that has changed my life. And, and uh, when I got married, I'll tell you that that changed my life. I don't know when you got married if it changed your life drastically, but it completely changed my life. And I made that decision to, to marry my wife. And, and my life has never been the same to since. I mean, it's been good. It's, it's awesome. Another thing that changed my life is when we had our first child. Tell you, it changed my life as well. And then number two, even changed it even more intense, more drastic. Um, those are big decisions I made in my life. When I became a pastor at Jefferson Baptist Church, changed my life. I used to work for the state of Oregon, and all of a sudden I'm a pastor of a church, and my life has been changed. I make these decisions in my life, and when I make these decisions, something radical happens to me with these decisions that I make. The greatest decision that's changed my life and should change all of our lives more than anybody, any other decision that we ever make is, is when we accept Christ as our Savior, when we accept Christ as our Lord. You have a whole new outlook, a whole new viewpoint, a whole new worldview. Everything changes. The world comes from who knows how it got here to it was created by the hands of God, and the same God that created it is a God that loves you. I mean, it's a dynamic that changes your life. It's what the book of 1 John is about. The book of 1 John is about so that we know that we believe. Because my life changed when I started making decisions when I married my wife, when I had my children. There's a huge things that, that changed. But when we believe, there's a dynamic that takes place in us where, I mean, the Bible says that Christ lives in us. The dwelling of the Holy Spirit is there. It changes different aspects of your life, all sorts of aspects of your life. And that's what we're studying for the 13 weeks as we walk through this book with the title, So You May Know That You Believe. So you'll know that you embraced him, that you know that you've accepted him, so you know that you've embraced him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Number one, a believer has a sense of wonder. A believer has a sense of wonder. The greatest topic in the world is a topic that God loves us. It's the greatest topic in the world. Why is it the greatest topic in the world? Is because if God loves us, then God is not distant. If God loves us, then God is not unreachable. If God loves us, then God is not connected. So just that simple phrase, God loves us, puts everything into perspective of who God is. In fact, if God loves us, then it means he's not revengeful on me. I have an opportunity to live. If God loves me, then it means that all these accidents, disease, bad things, death, all those things that take place, it means they're in perspective. They can be in perspective because God loves me, so I can look at them knowing that God loves me even as this has taken place. He's not making it happen. Something else is going on. If God loves me, it means that he's not hovering over me um, for every mistake that I make. It means that his love must be unconditional because I know myself. There's no really anything in me that would be but God would even love me, I mean, for. It must be unconditional, because I still make mistakes. And as I make mistakes, if he loves me, he's still walking with me. If he loves me, he looks after me. If he loves me, he helps me go through trials. If he loves me, he saves me from evil, corruption, and even death. God loves you is the greatest topic in the entire world. And of course, the book of 1 John talks about this love more times. That word is used more times than any other word in the entire book. So I want to look at our passage this morning in the King James Version. You do have the NIV 1984 that is up there on your, on your notes, but uh, I like the King James Version a little bit more because it gives the, the description of what's going on in the verse. So I'll read in the King James and then we'll work through it. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says this, 
Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been, made, been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we work through this verse. I just want to break it into two different sections. This is John's wonder. John is going to give a description of his wonder. He's the author of the book. And all of a sudden, he's going to step back, and you're going to see his heart. You're going to see his attitude. You're going to see who he is. So we have to talk about John's wonder, because he's the one that's writing the book, and this is just an outburst of his wonder. And then we'll talk about how we can get the same wonder that John, that John has. John's wonder. Look at it. First word is what? Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. See, what John is doing is he is describing the love of God all the way through his book. Chapter 1, chapter 2, he's describing the love of God. He's not describing the love of God right here. In fact, what he is doing is he is having a complete outburst in the process of describing God's love. So he's sitting here writing the book, and as he's writing the book of 1 John, let me tell you about God's love, let me tell you about God's love, let me tell you about God's love, he just practically just takes a break and says, oh my criminy, I can't believe how much I'm loved. Oh my goodness, he does what? In fact, for crying out loud, I mean, if I was going to interpret this, how would you interpret this word behold? What it is, it's see, but it's more than see. It's an expression of seeing. It's perceived. It's no. It's a shock to your system. And he's no longer even talking to you. He's no longer even talking to me. He just said, I just got to take a break from writing. For a crying out loud, I'm loved. For a crying out loud, I can't believe it that this love has actually been completely and entirely been bestowed on us. This love that God, that John is writing about, all of a sudden just made him go crazy because it hit deep. It hit deeper than just the mind. It made him absolutely go crazy to the point of, I can't believe it. I cannot believe that he did this. When we talk about religion, there's two different two different Christians, two different people that are in religion. And the, the two different people are, are a religious person and somebody that is a Christian. I'll just put it in those two different categories. A religious person, somebody is a Christian. What is a religious person? A religious person believes that God owes them. I did this for God, therefore I should receive this. I'm doing this for God. God needs my help and therefore, yes, I should be received in heaven. Yes, I should be able to get this. I don't even understand why God's not answering my prayers. I've been praying for a long, long time, and he's not answering my prayers. This is what a religious person does. It's it's almost a perspective that God is in debt to you because of what you do. But what is a Christian? A Christian is shocked at what has been done for them. Shocked in the sense of, I cannot believe that God loves me. Shocked in the sense that it's amazing that God loves me. Shocked in the sense that I have been astonished that God loves me. That's what a, a true believer is, and this is what John is showing us in this passage. Completely and entirely shocked. God is not in debt to me. I'm in debt to him. You know, we all go to work, and uh, during the weeks, months as we work, we end up getting a paycheck at the end of the week. 
Um, so you work all month, and or at the end of the month, you get this large paycheck, and as you get this paycheck, have you ever looked at that paycheck and said, behold, <laughs> I'm shocked, I got a paycheck. You never say, behold, I've got a paycheck. Why do you not say, behold, I've got a paycheck? Because it's owed to you. It is due to you. You worked for it. So there's never a reaction that says, behold, I can't believe it. But when there is a gift, say you get this, this bonus that you were not expected. You know, you get this huge, huge bonus that all of a sudden just showed up. All of a sudden it's like, this is beyond the call of duty that my boss just gave me. Then the words come out, behold, <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe it. Because you receive something that you did not deserve. You see what happens with salvation in a relationship with God is that a relationship with God shell shocks us that I can't believe what I've received. None of us should say, I can believe what I receive, and God is a God, he's my God, and I can get what I want, and if he doesn't give me, I'm mad. No, we should be shell-shocked in the sense that I cannot believe what I have received. It's exactly what John is doing here. Number three, John doesn't only know about God's love, he experiences it. Did I give you number two? I don't think I gave you number two. Okay, number two is John doesn't only see God's love, he feels it. That was the first one. That was, I just gave that explanation. Number three, John doesn't only know about God's love, he experiences it. You might be thinking, oh my goodness, we're Baptists. What do you mean experiencing God? Are we going to have this mystical experience that is going to take place? Let me just bring it down to earth. And the reason why is because Jesus brings it down to earth. That's when he came to earth as a man. He's bringing it down to earth. What does it mean to experience God? I say that I love to raft. Why? Because I have experienced rafting. I just, just say that piece. In other words, 2012, I went down the Grand Canyon River. It's, uh, it's a total of uh, 16 days on the river, and you carry all your gear and all those things, and you've got 3,000-foot cliffs. It's absolutely gorgeous, and the water is the biggest in the world. The, ra- the rapids are some of the biggest in the world. So it's an amazing experience. So what I'll do is I will go, and I had the experience. The thing about having that experience is that I did not forget the experience. I took the experience home with me. It was in my mind. It was in my thoughts. It was in my hands. It was in my will. It was in my pocketbook. Why? Because I'm like, I want the experience again. Well, we just received a a Grand Canyon permit that we're supposed to go this last year. And really hard to receive a permit, but I don't want to go into all the details of getting the permit. But we received a permit, so we did not get to go this year because of COVID, but we get to go in 2022. So there's a group of the church that's going to raft the Grand Canyon in 2022. Well, what happens is that I'm completely motivated, completely excited. It's taken my mind, it's taken my will, it's taken my heart, I'm sorry, it's taken my energy, and my wife would say, it's taken your part of our checkbook too. In other words, it's taken our money. It's taking a lot from me because why? I experienced it and I'm in the process of consistently experiencing it even though that I'm not there right now. That's what it means by experience. When I say that I love the Grand Canyon and I love to raft, I would tell you that it's not because it hasn't left my mind because I did it once. It's staying with me. It's, it's staying inside me. When I say I love to hike, Um, Yeah, I went on a hike for an entire month in the month of August. But when I say I love to hike, it's not like that hike is done. I didn't complete it and it all of a sudden is gone for me. No, it's I'm planning on it next year. 
as I'm planning on it next year. It's in my heart. It's in my will. It's in my energy. It's in my emotions. It has gone past. This experience is carrying me in one way or even another. So what does it talk about when you experience God? When you're experiencing God is when the logical reality that God loves you blows past the mind and goes into every part of your system. It goes into your hands, it goes into your will, it goes into your heart, it goes into your feelings, it goes into your emotions, it goes into your paycheck. It blows past your mind and there's no longer a logical reality. It is a shock that you're loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. First John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Now they've used a whole bunch of different words in regards to the translations of this word. Bestowed and lavished are the two old words that they, they've, they've, they've used. NIV used lavished, and the New King James used bestowed. What does it mean? It means implanted, infused, injected. That it is stuffed inside of you. Stuffed inside of you to the point that you understand it, you perceive it, and it is starting to come out of your hands, it's starting to come out of your life, it's starting to come off your lips. It's something that has impacted your life. That's what it means. That's what it means. God's love has completely been implanted, injected. A, experiencing God's love is when the truth of God's love overflows the mind into every single part of you, which would be your heart, your motives, your thoughts, your hands, your wills, your desires. You are grabbing a hold of something, the biggest thing you can possibly ever grab a hold of. When you grab a hold of Christ, you're grabbing hold of the biggest thing you could possibly ever grab a hold of. And that's why John just says, I just got to stop writing for a second. <laughs> and I'm just going to react. I'm just going to react to it. I'm glad that he didn't stop writing. I'm glad that he just consistently had his reaction and just kept on writing. So we even get to see his reaction because he's no longer explaining the love of God. He is showing the love of God and what it has done to him. He is showing the love of God and the impact that it has had on him. He says, it's not something that's a logical construct in my mind. It is something that's hit every part of me. And I can't even keep my mouth shut as it has. Letter four, John doesn't only believe God's love, he embraces it. We know the concept and how love works is love expects to be loved in return. Love expects to be loved in return. When somebody loves you, there's, there's almost there's this, this calling that, that wants loved in return. Because if somebody just loves you, they want to have that relationship. Now, we, we have this in our relationships with our mates. We have this relationship with our children. We have relationships with our country. You know, we expect this love in return as we love them. But when it comes to the category of God, we often view that God loves us, but it's not that really big of a deal if we love them back. Yet even in 1 John chapter 4, he says, you love me because I first loved you. God loves us. And then there's this, this movement in return. That's why the entire Bible is under this one word, love, is because there's supposed to be a return that, that comes back. If I'm loved, I'm moved, and then what I do? I serve back. Same way with Christianity. People say, well, Christianity is dry. Christianity is boring. Christianity is, is, is stale. Well, the reason why is because you have not embraced the love that God has given you. It's there. For God so loved the world, it's there, but you haven't embraced it if it's boring. You haven't seen it. You haven't, you haven't believed it. You haven't, you haven't understood it. 
I left heaven, I came to earth, and I died in your stead so you can live. First John 3, John explains it. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not even know us. What's John saying? <laughs> He's saying, I have embraced this love that I am so different that the world that I live in does not even recognize me because it's hit me so hard. Why does it not recognize me? He explains it. Because it did not know him. And then all of a sudden he says, beloved, now we are children of God. He's not talking about the future. He's putting it all in perspective. He said, this thing has impacted me so much that the world does not even know me because it does not know him, and this is happening right now. This love is happening right now. I'm not talking about a love when I see God face to face. I'm talking about the present situation that I am walking in a reality right now that I am absolutely loved by God. And since I've seen that reality, it's touched my heart, mind, thoughts, will, hand, checkbook, everything about me. I'm different. Number five, John doesn't only understand God's love, he hopes in it. Hope drives everything about you. Hope is your motives for everything that you do. You work in hopes to get a paycheck, and you hope to get a paycheck. Why? Because you hope to feed your family and you hope to pay your rent. There is a hope that goes in the future that you are doing something in the present for the purpose of receiving something in the future. You exercise because you hope to be healthy, because you hope to be, live longer, because you hope to have a, a thinner waistline than, than you have right now. There's, there's always a hope that the a reason why we do things. You sleep for the hope that you will feel rested. I've got a long day tomorrow, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to sleep or go to bed early tonight because there's a hope that you want to get in return. Hope drives and determines everything that you handle right now. Drives every piece of you. First John 3 explains it. Beloved, now we are children of God. We are now children of God, but there's something else that's driving me. And it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is, re- when he is revealed, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We shall see him as he is. This is the climax of the Christian life. Today we see God in faith. Today we see God in faith. And when we believe it, it's real. It's powerful. It is strong. But one day we won't see God in faith. One day, according to that passage, we will see him as he is. And John hoped in that one day that I believe in faith will all of a sudden have this huge revelation of what is going on and what has been going on my entire life. And that is that I will someday see him as he is. And it carries so much power, according to John, that it purifies. This last verse, look at the verse, that it purifies himself just thinking about it. Look at that last part of the verse. For, he shall, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just like he is pure. One day I will see him face to face. It's the climax of the relationship that I have with God right now. And just consistently believing in it and consistently hoping in it literally purifies yourself, according to that verse. Something happens to you when you believe in God. Something happens to you when you believe in God. 
You might think, well, I've been coming to church for 40 years and I don't have a sense of wonder. I've been coming to church five years and I don't have a sense of wonder. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and I don't have a sense of wonder. How do you get this sense of wonder that John has? Because even as I study in this passage, I ask myself, he has a massive sense of wonder, a sense of shock, a sense of, of glory, a sense of beauty that I cannot believe what's going on. What about me? How do I get it? How do I get it? Number six, if you want it, you need to believe that God has put you in a story. If you want it, you need, to be God, you need to believe that God has put you in a story. What is his story? Here's a story just explaining the entire Bible in you know, a fast sentence, which we consistently explain. Is that God loves you so much that he left heaven. He became a man. And when he became a man, he lived on this earth and he lived a perfect life. And when he lived a perfect life, he was doing it for a reason. And the reason why he was living a perfect life is because he wanted you. And he wanted me. Lived a perfect life. And then he went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice. What? To proclaim and give glory to the holiness of God and to save the person that has completely defied it, which is you and which is me. And then he went into the grave, completely dead. And when he went into the grave, he rose again three days later. And all of this was done for the purpose of embracing you, for the purpose of embracing me. That's the story. That's the story of the Bible. All the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you see that. And right now we're living in the book of in between Jude and Revelation because there will be a day that we'll see him face to face and he will come for our people. So we're in this timeline. Book of Revelation is going to come. So we're not there on the last book yet, but someday we will be there because Christ is going to return. I am in that story. You are in that story. And it is a story that every single person, whether you're a believer or not, longs to be in, longs to be in. Do you believe that? Let me just prove it to you that every single person longs to believe in. Look at Hollywood. What's the theme of every single Hollywood movie? The theme of every single Hollywood movie is rags to riches. I mean, not everyone, but rags to riches is what they look like. You are a nobody. All of a sudden, you're a somebody. Where do they get that? Where do they get that? They tapped into the human psyche and says, this is what everybody wants. They feel like a nobody, and one day they'll be a somebody. They are explaining the gospel right there. It's inside of everybody, whether they believe God or not. What's another one? I'm captivated by a love. I'm taken away by a love. All the movies say I'm taken away by a love. Why are they producing movies that are saying you're taken away by a love? It's because it taps into our psyche. It taps into our heart. It taps into our emotions. You died for a beauty. I mean, all the good romances out there are the ones that lay their life down for people. You know, my, I have three girls. My wife, I have, I'm married to my wife, and then I have two daughters, so I have three girls that are living in my house. All we do is watch chick flicks, and it's, 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 it's consistent. And, and I struggle always watching chick flicks, and, the, and I'm going to really reveal myself, and it's going to really sound bad, but there's not any passion in a chick flick, just a whole bunch of love. Somebody's got to die. <laughs> it's, there's not enough passion. If you're just going to watch all these movies and, and, and nobody dies, you need something that can carry some weight in the process. Well, my oldest daughter, she has a boyfriend, and, and last week um, they said, okay, Dad, we're going to, um, you got two men in the house. You guys, we can choose a chick flick. And as we choose chick flick, we'll, we'll make sure that it goes and with you guys as well that somebody will die. So, so we did. We, we chose a chick flick that would actually go from, for both of us. And um, so we sat down and we watched the chick flick. It was called... 
Braveheart. <laughs> I, I loved it. Me and another guy and my three girls were watching and they kept, this is not a chick flick. It's like, what do you mean? He has driven for something that is huge, it's big, and he's dying for it. Where do you get that excitement? It's, the gospel's written all over it. I'm willing to die for something I completely believe in? That's what the movie's about. I fight for a beauty, I be rescued, to be redeemed, to be re- saved, to be captivated. It's the theme of every movie. It's almost like Hollywood has opened up the Bible, has looked at the gospel, and said, we got to tap into this story. And the reason why we got to tap into this story is because it is what everybody in the world is dreaming about. It's what everybody in the world desires. It's what everybody in the world wants. So what are they doing? They're making billions. They're making billions and tapping the story. But you know what story they're tapping into? They're tapping the story of the gospel. And it's not a fantasy. It's a reality. It's not a fantasy. It's a reality for a believer. I, I want to move away from Braveheart, and I just want to talk about some movies that, that, um, that all of us know that are very, very innocent. Beauty and the Beast. What is Beauty and the Beast for? What does it talk about? Beauty, a beast that will die unless somebody loves him. I know I'm a beast, that I will die unless I'm, somebody loves me. And then what happens? You see the beauty, love the beast, and all of a sudden you see the beast completely risen from the dead. We love that movie. Why do we love it? Because it's reality. It's reality. It's really going to happen if you're a believer. Cinderella, I am a nobody, but someone came and rescued me so I can be a somebody. And the one I will be in heaven will be that perfect one. That's, that's the story. It's the gospel. The same thing. Tangled. I'm in prison wishing to be set free. Little did I know there was a princess that was looking for me, a prince that was looking for me. And I got rescued, and then I've been redeemed. There you go. I'm preaching the gospel. I could take every Hollywood movie and preach the gospel. Frozen. I am cursed. Where do we get that? <laughs> the Bible. I am cursed. The only thing that I can save me is what? True love. What is the Bible about? It's all about, it's all about true love. We are living in our fantasy, which is a reality if you believe in the gospel, if you believe in the gospel. Whether we believe in God or not, it is tapped into the human soul, this beauty that someday we can be saved, we can be rescued, we can be redeemed, we can be captivated, and even all the sci-fi movies that are out there is that we will go to a world that is beyond this one. Every one of us longs for it, and we know it because we're spending billions on it. God has written us in his story. God has written us in his story. And when you accept Christ, what are you doing? You're jumping into a story. You're jumping into the story that your heart is longing for, every person's heart is longing for, because I have been rescued by the King of kings, Lord of lords, and he knows me, he loved me, and he has literally saved me. This is why John was completely shocked. I can't believe that God loves me. Number seven, believe that God wants to walk with you. What does that mean? It means I'm loved, I'm not alone. God's not far off. He will never let me go. No matter what takes place in this world, if I'm all alone, if I'm there, God is next to me. God is walking with me. He didn't only die for me, which I have received, but if he's going to die for you, what else is he going to do for you? If he's going to die for you, what else would he do for you? In fact, what would he withhold from you 
if he's willing to die for you and lay down his life for you? The answer would be nothing. If God gave his son, what else is he going to hold back? Absolutely nothing as he is walking with us. Let's pray. God, help us to believe. God, the gospel is in front of us. The gospel is before us. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and died on our behalf and rose again so he can walk with us. The only thing that's the only thing that's preventing us from salvation is not believing it. Is not receiving it. Is not taking hold of it. Is not embracing it. I just pray, God, for anybody in this room, God, that has not believed, that has not come to Jesus, that is not in the story, God, of redemption, that is not in the story of salvation. That is not in your story. I just pray, God, that their hearts would be softened and they embrace you as their King of kings, Lord of lords, and their Savior. And God, for those who do believe, I just pray, God, that uh, we'll act like John. We'll be shocked. We will scream, behold. That our belief would um, increase, God, as, as time goes. God, we want to believe more. We want to know more. It is what changes our life. I just pray, God, that we'll grow in you in this process of living. In Christ's name, amen.